Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 250th episode of What's the Word, the show that's about finding out what inspires people to succeed in their respective careers. My name is Shaval John, and thank you guys for joining me. I am broadcasting live from a big, from Ben's Beans here in downtown Houston, and my guest of honor for this special episode is Ms. Kerry Ortega-Gon, who is a lawyer and podcaster, speaker, and a writer. And she's, of course, is in Orlando, Florida, which is really the, the gift of technology. Now, she is the host of one of the most popular podcasts called Market Smart Podcast, which is a uh, which is a uh, which is a podcast for marketing profs, which is one of the one of the most respective uh, marketing uh, or marketing professionals in the world. And she is a lawyer, and also has been featured on many monomia um, outlets, and especially recently on NBC. And she's here with me right now to chat about her career and also about live streaming. So, Ms. Kerry Koshay-Gogon, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm not in the coffee shop. I'm just on the show. Just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here. I'm truly honored. And now I'm going to start off with a little icebreaker question, and I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, which is your favorite sports team and why? Ooh, my favorite sports team. Well, I'm from Boston originally, so I have to say the Red Sox or else I can never go back there. But um, <laughs> it's like, that's just how it is. If you're raised in, in Massachusetts or even New England, I think you're um, – you're really into baseball, at least like on a, aware of it on a level that I think maybe you wouldn't be if you're raised somewhere else. But when I moved to the South about seven years ago, I had to pick a college football team because I discovered that everybody here talks about college football and I was being left out and I don't like to be left out. So now I root for the Alabama Crimson Tide for my, um, my college football team. Oh, wow. Wait, so Alabama Crimson Tide, so what, why them? Uh, I like winning. So the thing is, I moved to Florida. I might not live in Florida forever. So when I was thinking about picking a team, I thought I want to pick, like, who was at the time the winningest team with an interesting story. So I read up and picked the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. That was an informal Facebook poll. No, just kidding, among my friends. But uh, it turned out they had a really interesting history, and Joe Namath had played for them in college. And it's it's just very interesting to me. There's such a rich tradition of football in the South. So I was interested in that. All right. Now, of course, as I mentioned before, like, you know, you're, you're a lawyer, but I wanted to start off with, uh, you know, about the podcast, Market is Smart podcast. Can you share with us about, uh, you know, the, what the podcast about? Sure. It's an interview series. So every week I interview a different smart marketer. It could be an author, like I've talked with Chris Brogan, Mark Schaefer, David Meerman Scott, um, Ginny Dietrich, people who've written books of interest to people in PR and marketing, or it could be thought leaders or brand marketers. Like I've talked with marketers and executives from the Baltimore Ravens, for example, National Geographic, Dell, you know, big companies, and also startups. Pretty much anybody I think could have something that would benefit my audience of listeners. So I try to ask some questions that I think will help my listeners, and then I try to shut up and let them talk as long as they're willing. 
And um, that's it. I've been doing it for, gosh, I don't know now, three, three years, two years. Um, but I've enjoyed it. I really love that part of my job. Awesome. Now, I got, now, of course, speaking of this, you know, the podcast started on September 28th of 2011, but you officially took over the show on May 29th of 2013, which the guest was uh, Amy Maniatis of National Geographic, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, what was your thoughts when you, uh, be- when you became the permanent host of the podcast? Oh my gosh. I was so nervous. Actually, I had podcasted before I had had a parenting podcast when podcasting was brand new. And I was already very aware of the reach and kind of the intimacy of the medium. Like people hear your voice, they pick up on stories that you tell. You might not even realize at the time how much you're giving away of yourself and your personality and the way you think about things. And so I I was aware of that. And so very conscious of it. And I took over the show from Matthew Grant, who is so smart. I mean, he's brilliant and he's very articulate and, you know, a lot more, um, I don't even know, a lot more intellectual, I guess I would say than, than I am. So I wasn't sure how it would go with the audience because I thought I'm just so different, but I love interviewing people. I love talking to people. And I thought that that enthusiasm would come through. And um, it seems to have. People really do seem to enjoy it. I'm different from Matt, but uh, different, um, I hope, in, in a good way. So. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, uh, and of course, the name of, among uh, fast companies, uh, top three. And, of course, what's really interesting is that it was, you, you know, you were mentioned in Inc. Magazine, uh, once a while with crowds, learn from these eight stars, which you were the podcasting category. So how did you feel when you saw saw that, you know, mentioned in, in you know, in that uh, article? Just flabbergasted. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't even, I don't do the, the kind of um, promotion you're supposed to do for for yourself as a content creator, right? I'm always getting lectured by people in our space. I interview marketers all the time. I get a lot of really amazing advice for promoting my own content. I almost never follow it. So I actually came across that article you're talking about because my friend Marsha Collier, who has written a ton of um, For Dummies books, like eBay for Dummies, I think her ninth edition is just out now. But I, I found it because her name was in it. And then she told me, uh, you're in it too, and I was I was really flattered and just so happy that um, that my work seemed to have have resonated with people like that because I love it. So I was I don't know yeah, it was a crazy list to be on, but I was very excited about it. So I gotta you know ask this because you know the fact of the matter is you thought you know you're a, you're a lawyer and beforehand you thought you thought I was a college professor. But then you decided to, you know, go into like what you do right now as a, you know, as a speaker and a lawyer. So what was that? What was that? How did you know that was the right move for you? Oh man, it's so funny. Um, I'm very driven by just the my own internal compass. So I was first in my law school class, but when I practiced law for a while and then decided I liked the intellectual challenge of it, but I wanted to shift to something that would give me a little more work-life balance. People had a hard time understanding that, um, like my family and and other people I'd gone to school with couldn't understand why I would make the shift away from practicing law at a firm, like a very traditional legal 
you know, kind of uh, career path. But I was in marketing before I'd gotten into law. And I found that the creative work is what really fulfilled me. Like I loved podcasting, even when it was new and difficult and nothing worked right. I really enjoyed it. I love writing. I love, you know, meeting and talking with people, interviewing people. And so there was just a lot more I thought um, that I that I could do outside the traditional practice to help educate people about law. So that brought me to teaching. But then in the north where I was in Massachusetts, you teach largely as an adjunct um, unless you have a PhD. So I have a Juris Doctor. I have a JD. I don't have a PhD. So I was teaching as an adjunct, which is, you know, part-time, that means. And you don't typically make a living that way unless you do it a lot. So my day job was marketing. I was a managing editor for a magazine. And then in, at night, I was teaching law to undergraduate students. So when I moved from Massachusetts to Florida, I started teaching full-time at Full Sail University. So they have an entertainment business program. And I taught intellectual property there, so copyright and trademark and licensing and stuff like that. And um, eventually moved over into the internet marketing department because I had the background in marketing and they needed the legal perspective in teaching their students, uh, graduate students there. So it was just a strange journey. <laughs> and then uh, I started doing part-time work for marketing profs. I took over their podcast when Ann Hanley asked me to, actually, because I mentioned to her how much I like interviewing people as guests for my classes that I was teaching at the time. And for the school, we'd have these events where we'd invite guests to come and talk about marketing. And um, I told her how much I loved it. So when the chance came up, she offered me that role um, just on a contract basis. And I took it and loved it so much. I started doing more and more and more for profs and eventually just kind of rolled on in there when they, um, they launched an enterprise training program for companies. And with my background, it just, it made me a natural fit. And I was already doing so much with marketing profs that um, I was really excited about the opportunity. So I don't know, it's kind of a strange, windy road, I guess. Uh, that's that really sense? awesome. <laughs> so, sorry. so basically, you know, you know, the, you know, you focus in a lot, a lot on podcasts. The fact that, you know, now podcasting is, you know, has exploded over the last couple of years, you know, to, to where now it's much more accessible. And now Google Play Music has entered the game of podcasting. Why do you think uh, small businesses or anyone should have their own podcast? Well, first of all, I'll just say that I am never fashionable, that if I ever am, it is by accident. And so this is one of those cases where I just love podcasting and I just kept doing it. And now it's back. Now it's fashionable. So um, it's funny. I, I think it's a very different medium than traditional text, you know, any kind of print, even interactive uh, video, right? So some people do video, they call it a podcast. There's something really intimate about just listening to somebody's voice and are there faster ways to get information? Absolutely. But there's a personal connection that happens between a podcaster and the audience that I, you just don't typically get that from the written word because the voice that people are hearing when they read your writing, you know, it's in their head, it's their own. You're hearing my voice right now, right? So we, we have this connection. It's just very different. I think for brands that are looking to create a real and lasting relationship with people, on that personal level, you just can't get better 
than than podcasting for creating a, a real emotional reaction in people, if that makes sense. Like an infographic could be great. It's pretty unlikely to make people think, you know what, I really like the creator of that infographic. If you podcast and people gravitate towards you, there's something about you that they like, you know, your audience self-selects to you, they have a real affinity for you. You're not just a content creator who creates content that they like, you're a person that they like, that they want to know better. And so smart brands, I think, are going to get behind that because not only is it easier than ever to do it, um, and there's tons of data from Edison Research about why you should be doing it because it's more and more popular, very valuable, the nature of the audience and is growing and affluent and all that. So the data is behind you, but there's also just this visceral reaction people have when they hear a voice. They either like it you know, or they don't, ideally they do. So um, I think brands, smart brands, want to form real emotional connections, and podcasting is just such a powerful way to do that. That's really awesome. Now, to, now to transition into, into uh, you know, what you do as a, you know, as a privacy lawyer, per se, uh, you know, live streaming, you know, I mean, many podcasters, including I, have, uh, you know, is using live streaming platforms to kind of record our podcast, per se. Now, now, what's really interesting is that, you know, like here when the Mayweather Pacquiao fight happened, there were a lot of pe- there were a lot of people who had uh who had who had live streamed the the Ben Fresco, and that kind of was like a copyright infringement per se. So, and you mentioned that you know from the snippets of that of the interview with on NBC uh tonight NBC uh show, you can expect the people who want to protect their exclusive exclusive agreements they have with broadcasting companies. So that's part of the part of the snippet from that interview. So how imp- how do we know if we infringing on you know on on uh, copyright for say if we live streaming events, say like, you know, like live streaming from a coffee house or or from a Toyota Center like from a NBA arena. Um almost almost always. So the difficult thing is if you're at a concert or a movie or something like that and there is copyrighted material that you're incidentally capturing, that's technically copyright infringement, right? Now, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have worried about it because that kind of incidental capture of background stuff didn't used to get the companies riled up. They wouldn't probably have sued you over it. You might not have even heard about it. But the public domain and fair use, those two legal concepts about what you're allowed to use, they, I feel like they just get narrower and narrower and narrower the more companies sue people because they're desperate to hold on to this old-fashioned monetization model, right? So technology yeah. is just way ahead, way ahead of law in terms of you know what's possible. So you can't lock down your content anymore the way that you used to be able to, right? You used to print a certain number of vinyl records and you knew exactly how many there were. There couldn't be more than that. It's very different now, obviously. So if you're a marketer or even a private citizen and you're going to take your phone out and start streaming, you have to be thinking really carefully about what you're capturing, right? So, like, what is there music playing in the background? Am I getting, a, you know, somebody's um, performance in the background? Am I capturing any of a movie? I for sure would never stream from a movie theater, by the way. Can't even believe how crazy they get about it, um, the rights holders and motion pictures and stuff. You have to look at, you know, who's who's visible and think about it almost like, 
it, it seems crazy, but you have to think about it. Like, what would this look like if it was blown up on a big monitor instead of on my tiny screen? How much more would be visible? What can people at home hear that I'm not paying attention to here? And um, it seems really burdensome. It's really not. I think if you're thinking along those lines about being careful, then I don't think you're going to have much trouble. It's not like if you were to live stream from outside a concert venue and I can sort of faintly hear Katy Perry in the background. Well, it's not like that's going to stop me from going to buy her album. I'm not going to say, oh, good, I'm all set now. I can just listen to your, you know, your 30 second very faint background over your interview um, over and over again. So that comes into play. But it's just harder than ever to know what for sure is legal and what's fair use in advance. So it makes sense to be careful if that helps at all. It's a lot. I know it sounds like a lot. It's not so bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not. Okay, now now let me say a little advocate here because, I mean, I've seen – I know, like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like, especially, like, YouTube and other uh, live stream platforms where – People would listen to a listen to a song and even even might do covers of a song per se. And I'm gonna share an example like, you know, this popular uh television show which is sports, you know, on ESPN. They did a they did a, a parody to a old uh, to an old song which they didn't even know beforehand, you know, called Basketball, you know, on for a second. It was a parody parody which was funny. Now now I didn't now, what I did realize was it it kind of led to me find led to many people find out about the original songs that we never heard of before, that you know back in in the early '80s. So, if say let's say they do like a parody, wouldn't that incline them to go to listen to the original song, which will bring kind of like bring back the the old uh, days of you know the original music and, and probably incline them to buy the music per se. That's such an interesting point. See, so I'm of two minds about this because as a marketer, I would never, ever recommend suing people for something stupid like copyright infringement for a parody, right? Unless it makes you look really bad or something. But if you sell like cars and somebody puts up a picture that you took of a car and they're sharing it like, wow, this is a nice car. I'm not going to be like, hey, you're taking my copyrighted picture. Like take it. (laughs) That would be stupid, right? Because now they're going to hate me and I'm losing out on that exposure. So what you're saying about parodies, um, I kind of, I I do understand what you're saying. And I agree that copyright law really ought to be reformed, but that doesn't change the fact that right now it's restrictive as hell. So I would be very careful about what I considered a parody. Like if you're commenting on the original song or the original content, that's a parody, right? Because I'm making fun of kind of the original song and the point they were making and all of that. If I'm just hijacking the lyrics to write a funny song about my friends at marketing props. That's not really a parody. That's me just kind of taking their song and using the music for something else. So that's where it starts to get a little bit sticky. A lot of people think that if they're not making money off it, that it can't be copyright infringement, but unfortunately that's not true. So um, they changed the copyright laws. There was this one kid, it, I want to say he was a college student and he took software and put it online for free, trying to, I think it was as much a political statement as anything. And he couldn't be sued for copyright infringement while they tried, but I mean, they lost because there was no profit in it for him. At the time that was required for a finding of liability. So people were really miffed 
that he got off without without getting in trouble because he had no profit motive. So they took the profit motive away. So that's never going to be a problem anymore. It's like if you copy, you're in trouble no matter what. So I'd be very careful first and foremost about what I considered a parody. And as much as I see your point about giving greater life, new life, greater exposure to creative works, you just it's really hard now with media companies the way they are to want to take a chance on something like that. All right. Now, now, question: uh, What was your what was your favorite time? You know, your, uh, like you did like during during the time you know during your time you know with the marketing smart. Oh man, that's such a loaded question, right? Because <laughs> I love them all. Um, I have to say, I love them all. I really loved interviewing John Taffer from Bar Rescue because I love his show so much, and I just think he's so funny and. Um, and he's just a brilliant promoter. So he hosts that show, Bar Rescue, where he comes into a failing bar and, and you know, rebrands it and turns it around, gives the staff training and stuff like that. But he's got this really gruff kind of in-your-face personality on the show. And in talking to him, I learned that it was all very – it was all calculated. You know, he's got a result he's trying to achieve. He's trying to move this failing bar owner out of their comfort zone you know, being comfortable with failure and turn them around. And so to do that, he has to shock them a little bit um, and wake them up. So that was really interesting. I loved talking to him. I, I always love talking to Ann Hanley, my boss, Ann Hanley at Marketing Prof. Um, <laughs> she's just so funny. She's like my buddy. And let me think who else I've really, I was surprised by. Um, I don't know. I've had so many good experiences. I mean, anybody I've had on more than once, you can pretty much figure I must like them enough to have them back, right? And I've had Mac Collier on probably four times uh, to come back and co-host oh, things yeah. with me. So, yeah, so clearly, like, I love him because I just think he's really funny and um, down to earth and really smart, crazy smart. So I've had quite a few that I've really liked, but I think – John Taffer and Jane Seymour, maybe. I think talking to Jane Seymour, I geeked out a little bit because she's an actress and she did um, a lot of work that I've really admired. I'm such a sap that when I see her movie, is it Somewhere in Time with the one with Christopher Reeve? <laughs> I get really sad. It's so romantic. And anyway, I kind of idealized her um, early work. So talking to her was exciting too, but I don't know. I guess it's not a great answer because right. there's not one favorite, but. Sorry. Well, I'm gonna ask this question. So you good? You good? Now I'm gonna ask this question. What was it like turning on you when your boss Ed Hanley interviewed you on your own podcast? Oh, she's so funny. She's such a smart Alex. So the first thing she said was, "Hey, uh, thanks for taking the time to do your own podcast." <laughs> thanks, Anne. It was really funny. The thing about Anne is she's very direct, and you have to just answer her directly because she won't tolerate any kind of self-promotional spinning or BS. Not that I would do it anyway, but if she asks you a question, she expects a full, complete and direct answer. So I'm used to asking the questions and then kind of like getting out of the way and letting the guest have the spotlight. So it was fun. It was fun, but it was very different, I would say. And um, you cannot wriggle out of a question with Anne Hanley, she will come back to the original question and get the answer. That's what I discovered with her. So that's what I learned. Wow. From that. That is <laughs> a really true journalist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's really cool. Now 
Now, before I, I before I let uh, people call into the show, please uh, who are listening, you can call in uh, for our, for this special episode of uh, What's the Word 250 episode. Call in at 347-838-8197 to ask a question for our guest of honor, Carrie Ostego, going uh, here. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, I got to ask this question. Uh, for anyone who's starting out with a podcast or a, you know, or a blog or or, or interview series, should they go after the big name people first when they starting out, or should they try to build their podcast per se to the point of where they they gain credibility per se, you know, to get in order to you know to get recognized? Because I know that there's a there's a lot of advice out there talking about how to uh, reach out to the big name. Well, I would first of all say don't be afraid to ask big name influencers. I see that so much where people are like, oh man, how did he get so-and-so on the podcast? And like, all they did was ask. Some people are very gracious. Like Chris Brogan, one of the biggest names in our space. He's so nice and very willing to, um, to help out like new podcasters to the extent that he can. So I, I always recommend asking. I really don't think that you necessarily have to pay your dues and like have a certain number of followers. Will that make it easier for you to pitch people? Absolutely. If you can build up your follower base, subscribers, downloads, all of that, that all helps you to get through the gatekeepers. But I mean, I would never suggest that you just sit and wait. You could always send a tweet and then at mention whoever it is that you admire and tell them how much you'd love to have them on. And you know, they'll don't be overly salesy, but if they'll either be into it or they're not, you might be surprised. So ask, man. Wait, so Absolutely ask. But I will let me go back because this is a little advocate here. So but they're receiving thousands of emails from potential you know, people to be on their shows to say so you should just continuously ask ask them to be on? Well, I'll tell you something. So I had this really good-looking friend in college, really beautiful, and you would think, oh, she must get hit on all the time. Nobody ever talked to her, hardly ever, I mean, with that in mind, because they figured she must get hit on all the time and she must therefore be sick of it. I think you could think similarly about people who probably get pitched all the time. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but if your approach is unique or polite or you know you have something going for you in the way of a personal connection with the person there there's no reason I can think of that you couldn't ask them now I wouldn't that wouldn't be like the first communication I ever had with the person I think for example if I wanted to talk to John Taffer right I actually did this myself I had a lot of admiration for him and his work so I would you know chime in when he was talking about episodes of Bar Rescue live because he would join Twitter live and I would fate in that conversation. He was quoted in pieces about business, you know, like 10 business tips from John Taffer. I would share those with my network. I would at mention him. And so he basically got to know me as part of his community. And so when I reached out and asked him if he would come on the show, he had some context for who I was and understood that I was somebody who already was of a mind to, you know, to help him and share his content. It wasn't just this pure, hey, come do something for me, ask. You know, I was like a familiar name at least. So I would recommend that for sure. But don't think that, you know, just because people get a lot of pitches that they'll definitely say no to you. That's not necessarily true. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting answer I never would have thought of before. You know, that's, 
you know, you know, at least, you know, to, I guess, to give it a try to, you know, ask someone who respects a lot to be on your show per se. So, I mean, I, I would, I, I would agree with that to a certain degree, you know, I, I, you know, to the, you know, with what you say, but it's something to think about though, like, you know, what you said, you know, about, you know, well, I know you, that's why I was, I didn't even hesitate. You asked me to come on this one and I was honored that you even would ask me because I know you from blog chat where I've seen you in the Twitter chats and I'm familiar with you and your work. So it's not as though you're just some stranger asking me for something. Now that does happen. Right. And I treat those accordingly. I ignore them or not, but I know who you are, I guess is what I'm saying. And I have positive feelings about you, which is why I said, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm going to, I'm since you are a podcaster, I give people who are podcasters, broadcasters, television journalists, or the farmer to ask me a question on the show. So I'm going to allow you to ask me a question here. Ooh, if I'd known I was going to have this opportunity. So <laughs> who is your pie-in-the-sky dream guest that you are afraid to ask to come on? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, uh, wow. Can I mention two? Yes, of course. Your show. Uh, okay. One would be Rick Branson. And the other one, oh, wow. The other one would be, I'm trying to think. Another one would be, uh, Salia. Who is the second one? Uh, Talia, she's a she's a a, Mex- a former Mexican soap opera, but a you know a singer and songwriter, very well known. So those are my top two uh, guests, uh, top two uh, people Amen. I would ask to be on the show. You should go for it. I think you should totally go for it. I don't know how how either one of them would respond, but I bet if you are already sharing their content and, you know, letting them know that you're a fan, you have a better chance than you probably think. You really do. Uh-huh. I actually did wait out for for Taffer. He said he'd come on and then his PR people dropped the ball and I just like waited for him to get a new PR firm. <laughs> and then they were like all over it. <laughs> so you never know. There could be some kind of like in between obstacle, but I would try. I mean, why not? All right. You should go for well, it. Well, you. Awesome. Well, well, thank well, thank you, Carrie, for your vote of confidence. Now we have a caller here from uh, Area Code Two Fifty Six. Thank you for joining in on this special What's the Word? Where are you calling from? Hey, Cheval, this is Matt Collier. I'm calling from Alabama. Oh, it's hey, Matt, hey. welcome to the show. <laughs> Guys, great show. I'm loving Hi. it. Oh, thank you. you're so nice. Mac is so southern and nice, though. I never know if he's serious or he's just saying that to be polite. You should always hear him I'm saying it to be polite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know better. I do. I do. It's so nice of you to call. Sorry, I'm picking hey, over think, the show. Yeah, you're getting into your podcaster, podcaster hosting mode. You do such a great job with it. Awesome. So wow, I'm I'm now I'm really uh, honored, you know, you know. So Mr. Collier, uh, what question do you have for Carrie or Shago Gordon? Called you, Mr. Collier. 
<laughs> See? He's, he's polite and say that as well. Um, Siobhan, I got a question for Carrie. Carrie, you mentioned how technology is always going to be ahead of the law. So do you have like any, and you covered it a little bit, but I'm kind of wondering, do you have like any advice for brands? How do they go about protecting their IP but at the same time, for example, like you've got a fan, like you were talking about live streaming, and there may be some issues there. How do you, how, what would you advise a brand to do as far as keeping up with the law, but at the same time trying not to maybe step on the toes of like, I'm thinking like they're advocates that are wanting to help promote the brand, but also they want to protect their IP at the same time. So how do you balance that? Yeah, I totally get that. So first I would say that you want to handle your fans really lovingly and take them into your confidence, right? So if they're, for example, making their avatar on social networks, the the logo for the company, I would just reach out privately and say, you know what, I so love that, you know, you want to support the brand. Here's a special badge you can use, like just for you. But we really, it's really important that we not confuse people about which handles the official ones would be great, you know, if you could use this instead. Like, I would just think about how I approached my fans or my community um, and not kind of drop the hammer instantly, which has happened in some cases. The other thing I would do is if I were going to create a lot of original content and encourage sharing of it, I would, I would take kind of that same tack where I would keep my eye on the prize, which is promoting my brand and sales and stuff. And if I create an infographic and a bunch of people like take it and share it and maybe they don't link back perfectly all the time, I'm not going to freak out about it as a brand because I don't sell infographics. I sell cars or cookie dough, or, you know, software as a service solutions. So remember that and value the relationship more than you value, in some cases, that particular piece of IP, right? It's like in some cultures, if a friend comes over to your house and breaks something, you don't make a big deal out of it. You're like, it's fine, it's fine. It was already chipped and stuff because you value the relationship more than the thing. I, I really wish more brands thought about it that way instead of kind of instantly dropping the hammer, um, at least on, in terms of copyright. Trademark, you have to be a little pickier because if you don't, um, like, like have you ever seen commercials that say it's not a Kleenex, it's a Kleenex tissue. They have to do that on purpose to keep their trademark protection or else they'll lose it like everywhere. So I get that, but I still would be really thoughtful about how I, how I approach people about it, I guess. Does that answer your question? Um, Did I not? <laughs> yeah, no, it did. And actually, you know, while you were saying that, I was thinking because we're we're talking about how companies should pretty much always have like a social media policy. I'm wondering what about companies making like an IP policy or some type of guidelines in place that let them know that hey, this is this is the kind of thing where we should step in and say something to the person that's sharing or maybe using our brand in a way we may not like, or is this something where we need to step? I mean, how, I mean, how many companies, how often do you think a company should think about having some sort of policy or guidelines in place like that? Does every company need no. one or not? Mm-hmm. Well, I used to think nobody needed one. I, I honestly thought, you know, don't be a moron would probably cover it like 90% of the time, but that's more for people's personal comments and you know the way that they interact with people on social media. Um, I would do some training when people join. And really this is important, I think, for all your employees, whether you're big or small and whether they're tasked specifically with social media or not, 
they are a representative of your company and the things that they do. So I would just tell them, look, however well-intentioned you might be, if you see somebody else, you know, sharing our content and maybe the link doesn't work right, or if you see them taking our logo as their avatar or doing something else, it's not, you don't, you don't have to, you know, come on out guns blazing and put a stop to it. You know, you can either leave it to the team or whatever alert the whoever your team is, right? Or you can, you know, lovingly and politely say, hey, man, so cool. You know, I'm with the company. So cool that you like our brand, but, you know, whatever. Like kind of run people through scenarios. And I think if you hire right, if you hire for, for culture and personality on top of just technical skills, you'll find that the right kind of people would handle it the way that you would want them to. Like at Marketing Prof, you can't imagine Ann Hanley being like, hey, douche, um, take our logo off your thing. She would never do that because she yeah. values Marketing Prof's community, right? And so even if she had to say something and ask you to do something differently, she, the way that she would do it, I think, is a lot like the way that I would do it uh, because that they've assembled a team of people who share kind of an outlook on life. And, and um, I think that's important too. So maybe you need a formal guide, a large company, you very well might smaller company, maybe not, but if you hire the right people, the number of times you'll probably have to whip that guide out is, is probably like just a handful. Gotcha. That's a great point. Okay. Thank you, Carrie. I'm going to get out of the way. Thank you, Cheval. Great show. And <laughs> appreciate both of you. It's been great. Thanks. Thank Max. you, Max. Thanks for calling me. All right. Well, if anyone else have a question, uh, you know, you can call in at 347-838-8197 as we have less than uh, seven minutes left in the show. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question: How important is uh, social media for anyone, including our pod warriors? And to add on to that, Twitter chat per se. Well, group chats per se, which I, I just got a bias. Oh the boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, my answer is oh, lawyers specialize in saying like it depends, right? Well, it depends. This or that. Did this happen or that happen? How old is the girl in question? Blah 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 blah. Well, it depends. But for businesses, where and whether you need you, you know need to be on social media and how much you're going to use it depends on your audience. So, if you're catering exclusively to People who are elderly right now, for example, maybe you don't spend a whole heck of a lot of time on social media. Maybe you're still more about phone and direct mail. It's like it's still here. Um, I would be on Facebook because almost everybody is now, right? But how you use it is going to be a little bit different. So on the other hand, if you're working for, say, a recruiting firm and you're looking to get millennials you know, to come and apply for jobs, you're going to have to obviously be on a lot more networks. Like you're going to need to know what Snapchat is and how to use it. You're going to need to look at Instagram. You know, maybe it's a little bit less about Facebook. For sure, you're looking at LinkedIn. So it's always a question of audience for me and alignment. Um, but at a minimum, I would kind of claim my space on each network and, you know, just so like nobody else can take it. But I wouldn't invest a lot of time in like Periscope, for example, if I were not the right brand for Periscope, like if my audience wasn't there. So, um, but lawyers, on the other hand, I think anybody in a service position, and lawyers I include in that number, would benefit from having a stronger, more intimate relationship with their prospective audience, right? And so there is a fear in regulated industries sometimes of using social media, but you should absolutely use it just not to give legal advice. So if you want to be a lawyer that attracts, you know, extreme athletes, 
or motorcycle enthusiasts or actors or whatever, that's who you engage with on social media, that you share the kind of content that would interest them, be helpful to them, you know, be a resource for them. That's such a great opportunity to build that relationship without ever once talking about your product or service or whatever it is that you offer. Um, I don't know why anybody wouldn't do it unless their audience was never on social, which I don't know exactly who that would be anymore. So <laughs> does that answer your question? Yes, it does. It does. Okay. Now, uh, if, you, if you had the opportunity to spend one day with someone you admire, let me rephrase it, interview anyone you admire, past or present, to learn from, uh, who would that be? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. So um, Howard Stern is one of the best interviewers, I think, of all time. And people might laugh at me when I say that, but if you ever listened to the Howard Stern show, he gets people to talk about things that are wildly inappropriate and very far outside their comfort zone. And so the way in which he, he manages to kind of cajole people into sharing those secrets, you know, I mean, that's, that's a skill. That's more, actually, it's more like an art. And I just think I could learn a lot from him that way. And um, I suppose I could afford to learn something about promotion that way too, because I don't probably promote my own content enough. I would love to talk with him. Um, along the same lines, I'd like to talk with Barbara Walters because she's another well-known interviewer a different style, obviously, um, but I'd love to talk with her. And are we talking like purely professionally, right? Or are we talking about like personal too? It could be, and it could be professional or personal as well. I adore Bruce Campbell. So that, I guess that'd be my personal one. He's an actor and he was in the evil dead series. So one of my favorite movies is army of darkness, which is one of the evil dead series. And the reason I love it is because Bruce Campbell who is an actor who was also later on in um, a TV show called Burn Notice that I love. He's just so okay. funny and uh, really self-effacing. So anyway, if it was ta- if we're talking personal stuff, I would love to talk with him sometime. He just cracks me up. All right. I'd run well, away. Where can people him. find out more? <laughs> Go ahead. I was teasing. I oh, said so, I'd run so away what? with him. Tell, call me Bruce. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, where can where can people find out more about uh, your your show, your work, and also marketing smart podcast? Great. Well, marketing profs is um, marketingprofs dot com slash podcast is where you can find more about marketing profs and the podcast that I do for them. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gorgone or on my website at CarrieGorgone dot com, which is K E R R Y G O R G O N E dot com, like Carrie G or gone. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you. And uh, I go to blog chat, of course. I go to blog awesome. chat, of course. I was going to say on Sunday nights, I rarely miss it. It's um, at 8 p.m. Central. So come on to Twitter if you want to see me at blog chat. Awesome. Well, Carrie Ortega goes on. I want to say thank you. Join me on what's the word. Truly honored. Do you have any uh, final words for our audience? You should come on this show. If if you get the chance, if Cheval asks you, say yes. And that goes for you, Richard Brinson. <laughs> come on. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining me on What's the Word? Truly honored. 
It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are very welcome. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this 250th episode of What's the Word? If you missed this episode live, it will be archived on iTunes, Stitcher, and also Google Play Music. And also, you can visit my social media uh, company, Volami, at www.volamamedia.com forward slash podcast slash two to find out more about this, to hear more from this interview and also the past 200, other 250 episodes of this show. And just to let you know beforehand that this show is sponsored by Office in America, which is um, a co-working space. You can visit the website www.officeinamerica.com and also, um, you know, visit this website. So thank you for joining me on What's the Word? The show that's about finding out what inspires people to succeed in their respective careers. My name is Cheval John. Be real and be independent. And we leave you now with uh, Krista Earl's uh, Just People. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you guys next week.
Uh-oh. Wow. And just point out. 